Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, February 26th, we are studying Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. As Jesus continues his ministry of teaching, now in Judea and beyond the Jordan, the Pharisees come to Jesus intent on testing him yet again, this time concerning what God's word says about marriage. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Fantastic. Let's talk context, Pastor Beck. We're starting Mark chapter 10 today. What do we need to know about the immediate context, the book as a whole, that will help us into today's text? Sure, sure, yeah. So we are uh, sort of flying through the Gospel of Mark, and it's a it's a quick read. Um, I, again, would like to uh, remind our listeners that uh, the Gospel of Mark can really be read in one sitting. And I would challenge everybody, as we're studying this book uh, day in and day out, maybe sit down and just read through the entire thing. Uh, if it takes you an hour, uh, then you're reading pretty slow, or, or you're like me, you're a slow reader as it is. That's just fine, though. Um, read through the book because it is uh, it is a book that can be read in one sitting and be kind of kind of taken in one uh, one big chunk there. Uh, but this is uh, we're past the halfway point in the book. We see a couple of different times in Mark's gospel uh, where Jesus, um, actually three times, uh, where Jesus predicts, where Jesus foretells uh, his own passion, his own suffering, his own death and, uh, and burial and resurrection. Uh, but right now, uh, we're in between. Uh, the second and the third uh, for uh, foretelling of Jesus's uh, passion. And in this point, uh, he sort of, he stops and he talks with the crowds and specifically here he's talking with the Pharisees and the, uh, the, um, some of his opponents, but we're talking with the crowds and we're teaching them what King, the kingdom of God looks like and specifically what living in the kingdom of God looks like. So we get some, some practical, um, kind of, um, glimpses into the kingdom. Sometimes that looks like healing and casting out demons. Sometimes that looks like um, further clarification on the law of God, his will for creation. Um, and, and so here before us today, we have this, uh, this teaching about divorce, uh, which we're going to get into in just a few minutes, I think. All right. So let's go ahead and, and just look at the text that we've got in Mark chapter 10. Teaching about divorce is the title that is given there by the ESV. Although I, I think, and we, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, Pastor Beck, I, yeah. I think maybe teaching about marriage, marriage is the way to start. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> because I, 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 I think that's part of the problem that the Pharisees have in this question that they're going to ask Jesus anyways. And we'll, we'll get to that. So let's read the text. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And he, that's Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. That is the text we have before us today, Mark 10, verses 1 through 12. Pastor Beck, before Jesus even gets into the matter of marriage, he's simply teaching. We get a note about the geography a little bit in that first verse and says that he's teaching as was his custom. Just address that very first verse to start. Yeah, sure. So in the first verse uh, here, Jesus had been in Capernaum, right, uh, where he had been teaching and where he made his passion prediction. And now he's going to go to the east side of the Jordan River, uh, which if you're looking at a map, you always remember that Jerusalem is uh, down in the southern country, that uh, the Sea of Galilee and the region of Galilee and all of those uh, type uh, places are in the north. Um, And then there is uh, the River Jordan that runs north-south. And so most of the promised land uh, of Israel is on the western side, uh, but then on the eastern side is, um, there's a little bit of, uh, of it that is, uh, you know, historically part of the promised land. Uh, but this is also kind of, I mean, it's it's the beyond the Jordan side. It's the closer to the wilderness, the more far outside. And, and in fact, this is where John the Baptist uh, likely uh, conducted much of his ministry, right? Uh, there in the wilderness, inviting people back out into the wilderness to walk through uh, the waters of the Jordan to come out to re-enter the promised land anew, uh, having repented of their sins. Um, and then this is also very likely, um, at least um, at least in close proximity to where Jesus is is tempted, right? On the east side of the Jordan, he goes out into the wilderness uh, where he is tempted. Um, in Mark's gospel, it's only like two verses, but uh, nevertheless, that's the wilderness that's being referred to. So Jesus is, he's in the Southern country, uh, but he's on the East side of the Jordan. And then uh, I find it interesting that it says, as was his custom, he taught them. But uh, I mean, that expression only comes up like, I think twice in the book of Mark, like, uh, and one of the time, excuse me, there's three times. And one of the times is people marveling that he had taught the people. <laughs> right. And so it doesn't. Mark doesn't, you know, frequently say, um, and he began to teach the crowds, and he began to teach the crowds. That's a lot more in Matthew, uh, but Mark does allude to the fact that this is part of his custom. Um, and I, I want you to pay attention, uh, dear listeners, uh, as we walk through this. And maybe you've noticed this uh, before in Mark's gospel. I, I hope you'll notice it from now on as well. Is that uh, in Mark's gospel, especially, Jesus has a little bit of a different tone towards the crowds than he does towards, uh, especially his enemies, but even his disciples. I mean, when he takes the disciples aside, we're going to see this in a minute uh, when they go into the uh, into the house to talk, right? But sometimes Jesus kind of, he turns off the filter a little bit. Sometimes he, he says things that are a little bit hard to digest and hard to process uh, when it's just the disciples. And uh, I had a pastor friend uh, <laughs> who once told me that in Mark's gospel, anytime Jesus is alone with the disciples, it's like he's taking them to the woodshed. All right. There's some some harsh words coming. So I don't know about that. Your mileage may vary. But uh, nevertheless, Jesus is teaching the crowds and he teaches them in a spirit of gentleness in Mark's gospel. Sure. That, that's a, a, a nice thing to point out with this text, because yeah. you see all three of those groups being taught here. We get the crowds in verse one and Mark doesn't give us any of the content of Jesus teaching, though presumably he 
he might have been teaching them about marriage at the time. That might have sure. been part of the reason that the Pharisees ask what they do. But then he does switch to addressing the Pharisees, who, as you said, are his enemies. And then at the end, he will go to inside privately and address his disciples. So we have all three groups being taught. And and although Mark doesn't give us a ton of the actual teaching of Jesus, it is a prominent thing, I would say, in his gospel still. I mean, that very first text when Jesus is in the synagogue in Capernaum, and I think that's the one you were referring to where they're marveling at his teaching with authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though you don't necessarily get a lot of the specific words that he said, you get bits and pieces and some larger chunks, like chapter four, all those parables, for example. And even previously in chapter nine, you, you said this is part of his teaching, preparing for his passion. It, Mark does still make that an important part of Jesus and who he is, even if he doesn't include a lot of the actual words directly that Jesus taught. Exactly. Yes, that's right on. <laughs> so so Jesus is doing what he has been doing. And also the geography, I think, is important. He is getting closer to Jerusalem. We've mm-hmm. been noticing that journey that he's been taking really since his transfiguration and that part of the, and the, that very first time where Jesus Uh, speaks about his passion. He's really about as far north as he gets, and he's starting that journey south toward Jerusalem. So he's getting closer. He's doing his thing. He's teaching the crowds, and then they kind of take a back seat. They're going to hear the teaching, but Jesus is specifically addressed by the Pharisees. And Mark tells us that they actually are coming to Jesus to test him. They don't have noble intentions in mind. They're actually testing him with the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So What's the what's the test behind this question? Right. I, thank you for pointing that out. Anytime that uh, that uh, one of the gospel writers tells us that somebody's uh, they're coming with the intent to test him or to trap him in his words, uh, we kind of need to be on guard lest we ourselves uh, get tested and tempted and trapped trapped by these words. Um, so the test is this. At least for Jesus, the test is this. Okay, um, uh, and you can actually you can read this a couple of different ways. I find this interesting because on the one hand, um, they're asking, you know, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Um, and in their own context, um, there were these two teachers uh, within the Jewish uh, faith. Uh, there was uh, Shammai and Hillel. Did I say that pronounce pronounce that correctly, Pastor Apple? Certainly, you did. I I did the thing. Yeah, that's right. Um, they both uh, likely lived sometime right around uh, the time of Jesus's birth. So these were kind of the um, the rabbis um, of uh, they were the ones that people knew about. They were kind of the um, almost the two. They became sort of religious parties. Uh, it, it's it's complicated, but basically. Um, Shammai uh, comes down and he's on the more strict side of things. Um, he's very, very involved in terms of uh, adherence to the rules and the the, uh, the laws of the temple uh, and temple worship. He's very, uh, very much, uh, uh, very much about uh, the people of Israel. Very much about excluding Gentiles from all things. Um, and on the other hand, Hillel is—he's uh, a little bit more lax. He's not as focused on the temple, but instead uh, on more life principles. Um, he's a lot more open to Gentiles. Um, and it's just—it's two different ways of understanding the um, the Jewish laws, the uh, the Torah, etc. Right. And so they actually they differed in terms of how they looked at the. Um, 
uh, the right of a man to divorce his wife. Shammai would say that only in the instance of uh, uncleanness on the part of the wife, which he took uh, to mean um, infidelity, right? Um, adultery. In that regard, um, you may divorce your wife. And then Hillel, um, he would say that now, I mean, that uncleanness there that is, you know, kind of the recipe for divorce. I mean, that's that can refer to her demeanor. That can refer to, um, I mean, I guess the famous example that I've always heard um, is that uh, it, it even went so far as like if she didn't prepare your your dinner the way that you wanted it prepared. Um, that was a reason. That was a grounds for divorce. I mean, we would call that in our day and age irreconcilable differences uh, or something like that. But so that's potentially one of the tests that's in front of Jesus is, Jesus, who are you going to alienate? Um, the people who are strict on these things or the people who are a little more lax on these things? Jesus, pick a camp kind of a deal. Or you know, the other test, the other trap that might be out there is we were talking just a minute ago about John the Baptist. And uh, you remember that he's kind of faded from the pages of Mark a little bit. Uh, and the reason for that is that he's been arrested. And remember why he was arrested? Um, he was put in prison uh, because he spoke out against the marital sins of Herod Antipas, right? Uh, who had uh, taken his brother Philip's wife Herodias to be his own wife. And so maybe they're testing him on the one hand to say, which school are you going to follow? You know, uh, which, which, you know, which party are you going to be a part of? And on the other hand, maybe they're saying, Hey, are you going to come down, you know, as a, as a kind of a harsh teacher regarding uh, divorce and marriage and things like that? Because, you know, we, we know a, a king uh, who might have a word or two to say, depending on how you answer this question. You know, I've I've heard before the difference between the two schools as the possibility of being the test, and and I I think that might be involved, but I don't think I'd ever really considered the matter of geography and the connection to John the Baptist, yeah. and I I think there's something there because it was back in in Mark chapter three already where the Herodians were part of the group that was plotting to kill Jesus, and and we've seen these these groups come together previously for ill purposes such as that. And so to see perhaps that being the test that the Pharisees are thinking, hey, if we can get Jesus on Herod's bad side and the Herodians' bad side, then maybe the same thing that Herod did to John, which was the beheading that we saw back in chapter six, maybe we can get Herod to do that to Jesus too. I mean, again, I've never really thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense to me that that could be part of the test that's going on here, not just that debate within Judaism at the time, but even more darkly, a plot to take Jesus' life. Yeah, I don't think that it's, uh, I don't think we need to rule that out. Um, I think that certainly might have been on the, on the scene, you know, because anybody, I mean, the, the, the distinction between the two parties and everything like that, I mean, that's us reading back in based on, you know, historical accounts, based on Jewish tradition and, and things like that. Um, so I don't think that there's a problem with us saying, you know, there's, these guys are, are, they're out to trap and to trick Jesus any way that they can figure it out. Um, and so, you know, maybe we use our, our theological imaginations and just say, hey, you know, what, what is the, what is the test here? What is the trap? Um, and I think that that's that's uh, perhaps compelling. Uh, and then on the other hand, you know, there's the question of um, what is the trap for us? And I think that's that's kind of where this text eventually will take us is um, we need to be on guard as well, because uh, the same traps and, and temptations and tests that existed for Jesus also exist for us. 
That's right. Yeah, that question that the Pharisees ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Just that those first three words in English, is it lawful? That's a question the Pharisees love to ask. That's a question yeah. we love to ask. It's not, and it's not always a bad question. We should be concerned as Christians whether or not something that we're going to do is a sin or not. Right. But sometimes we ask that question as a way of trying to justify ourselves. Yeah. Rather, and, and that's when we can fall into the trap that the Pharisees fall into. And, and I know we'll we'll explore that more as the text continues. But that just that question: Is it lawful? can start us down the wrong way of thinking. Not always, but but if we're not careful, we quickly become those who would seek to justify ourselves rather than let Jesus justify us and then seek to listen to what he says in his word. You know, Pastor Apple, we can ask the wrong question in terms of the law, is it lawful? And we can also ask the wrong question in terms of the gospel. Is there forgiveness for now, I, I mean, we're—I know we're gonna—we're eventually going to get there when we start talking about uh, verses eleven and twelve. Um, that's got to be a part of our conversation today. Uh, but the question is: there forgiveness for? Sounds completely different um, if somebody is asking permission. Mm. Does that does that make sense? Yes. Is yes. there forgiveness for divorce? Well, <laughs> that's the part where uh, where um, we pastors get to ask. Why do you ask? That's right. <laughs> Tell That's me right. more about that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And we are, and we'll we'll get there because this I mean as as we're already talking about it, this text is going to have quite a bit of application for us still today in yeah. a variety of ways. So let's let's keep keep walking through this to see how Jesus responds. The trap sure. has been set. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus as he so often does in the gospels is just masterful in the way that he handles this. He responds with a question of his own. What did Moses command you? What's what's Jesus' tactic here? Oh yeah, his his tactic is to um, he appeals to an even higher authority, right? He appeals to a higher rabbi, a rabbi who uh, has precedent, you might say. Mm. And uh, so Jesus asks them to answer their own question, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, that's right. He he says, "Oh, you want to ask this question? Well, I've got a question for you." And it's basically the same question, but he's He's testing them. And I, like you said, he masterfully does this um, because they test him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He asks, uh, he answers and says, what did Moses command you? That in and of itself is a test. Where are they going to go to get their answer? And so they're, of course, not going to go to the right place. <laughs> so where where do they go? I mean, Jesus asks, what did Moses command you? They say in verse 4, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. They quoted Moses. Yeah, Deuteronomy 24. <laughs> <laughs> so, and But Jesus doesn't like it. I mean, no, he, he's, he has something he's not to say. any of it. <laughs> so where did they go wrong? Right, right. So um, they forgot that Moses also wrote the book of Genesis. There you go. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, Jesus is talking about the fact that Moses had given uh, the entire accounting of, uh, well, the entire Torah, right? That it was given through the hand of Moses. Uh, And so they are forgetting uh, that the question that they are asking is wrong because they're asking how to get out of it instead of what is marriage, Right. They're saying, um, you know, if marriage is broken, what do we do? And, and Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, what is marriage? And if you answer the question, what is marriage? I think that will take care of the question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
Yeah, the the question that the Pharisees ask, not being the right one, is a, a key to this text. And the fact that the Pharisees go to Deuteronomy 24 yeah. rather than to Genesis chapter 2 is also important. And I think even, even Genesis chapter 1, I guess I should say, that God made them male and female, that goes all the way back to Genesis oh, chapter yeah. 1. They don't go to the right text from Moses. And even, you know, as, as I was reading this earlier, it's an easy thing to miss. You know, what did Moses command you? Well, I think I probably would have initially thought about Deuteronomy or Leviticus, one of those sections of the scriptures where Moses is writing a list of commands right. without understanding that more broadly. What did Moses write? What did Moses give you from God to address this question? And they don't go to the right spot. What, and, and I think that, I mean, the implications just of that, the, the methodology are important, that Jesus directs the Pharisees back to the very institution of marriage, right? rather than what happens later, particularly in the aftermath of Genesis 3 that stands right. in between Genesis 1 and 2 and Deuteronomy 24. Exactly, because the the difference um, is you have the fall into sin. And when you have the fall into sin, all of a sudden, um, you have the you have kind of a a broken marriage to start with if that makes sense mm. right um we uh I, I was just thinking about uh in our in our hymnal right the uh the matrimonial address at the beginning of a wedding right dearly beloved we are gathered here in the sight of god um, etc so on this is an honorable estate instituted and blessed by god in paradise before humanity's fall into sin. I mean, that before humanity's fall into sin is so crucial to the, to the blessing of marriage, to understanding how wonderful it is, is that God instituted marriage before there was sin, right? Marriage is the only institution that predates sin. Not government, I mean, not even parenthood, my goodness, right? But marriage, the family, I guess I should say, it exists before it is broken and tainted by sin. And so that's, if we're going to have a good, solid, foundational answer about marriage and, and, and how to live in a, uh, in a marriage, in a broken world, we need to go back to before it was broken and to be reminded that it is good. Yeah, and I think you're right to to include the entire family with that gift of yeah. marriage. The yeah, Lord does like does give them the gift of being fruitful and multiplying there in sure. Genesis chapter one as as well. So yeah, the entire gift of family go back to what God had commanded. And again, with that question, is it lawful? Well, what did what did God say about it? That's where you need to start and look to where He created it. And just as and this is a a, a bit of an aside, but I think it is important the fact that Jesus goes back to that text where God institutes the gift of marriage, I think is important for us when we think about other questions that we might ask. And, and again, this is a bit of an aside, but I think it's worth at least the, the tiny detour. For example, when we ask about the Lord's Supper, we should start by looking at the text where Jesus institutes it in the Gospels and in St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 11. Or when we're looking at baptism, we should start with Matthew 28, where Jesus institutes it. And so it is with marriage. Jesus goes to the text where God instituted it, rather than the the extrapolations from that institutional text. Does that make sense, Pastor Beck? I think it makes sense. You didn't just say that marriage is a sacrament, did you? No, I didn't. I didn't. I was not, <laughs> I'm not trying to say that. Thank you. That's a, that's a good clarification. I'm simply saying, when we, when we want to look at 
a topic in scripture. We should start with those texts that are most directly about it. Absolutely. And and particularly for something like marriage, let's start with the text where God actually gives it. And then those are just other examples, but not not to say that marriage is a sacrament. Thank you. Yeah. No, I I didn't think that was what you were saying. It was just clarifying and making sure on the air. Now, um, it is good to start with the foundational basis and then to move into uh, some of the more specific or, um, you know, maybe the, um, I don't want to say the exceptions, but the times when you kind of, the contingencies, maybe that's the word for it. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's what we have in Deuteronomy 24 is the contingencies of marriage uh, taking place in a broken, sinful world. Right. And and that's where Jesus says you're you're looking at the wrong text and you're you're asking the wrong question. The, yeah. And again, that's to go back to what, where we started with the title for this that's given by the ESV, teaching about divorce. Well, maybe we shouldn't see this as teaching about divorce as much as we should see it as teaching about marriage. That that seems to be where Jesus wants the Pharisees to go. And and I know, at least in my own pastoral teaching and in my own consideration for topics like this personally, things go better when I start by thinking about what's marriage rather than thinking about, well, how can I get out of it? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, I don't know about when you do premarital uh, counseling sessions with couples, if you uh, uh, ask them the question about, will you have a prenuptial agreement? Uh, or not. That's something that's come up in several of uh, of the sessions that I've done. And it, I kind of say, you know, um, <laughs> if you start your marriage out, you know, with a uh, a parachute there, uh, if you start your marriage out with a uh, with an escape hatch built in, um, you're probably not in the right frame of mind or heart uh, because you're not actually committing yourself to one another. Yeah. Again, this is a very applicable text for us today as we sure consider. Enough for ourselves, what is marriage? And to ask that right question, to look at the right text, that's still a key for us today. We're going to keep doing that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're looking at Mark chapter 10 with Pastor Dustin Beck. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, February 26th. We're looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. We have Pastor Dustin Beck with us. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, we were looking at how Jesus takes the Pharisees back to the foundational text concerning marriage. He takes them back to Genesis 1 and 2. He notes that, yes, Moses did write that in Deuteronomy 24, but he wrote it because of your hardness of heart and and the sin that had come into the world between Genesis 1 and 2 and Deuteronomy 24. But Jesus wants them to go back. He wants them to go back to that text. So how does Jesus do that? Take us into what Jesus says, particularly in verses 6 and following. Well, I can't go without uh, without looking at verse five for just one second because I love in verse five Jesus says it was because of your hardness of heart, right? Uh, this is essentially Jesus gets really close into the microphone and just says wrong, 
long. <laughs> yeah, he just he just tells him. He says, "No, that's that's not the answer that I was looking for. Y- you got the thing completely wrong, right? Moses was here, and Moses said that to you guys because you guys were so stubborn, because you guys wouldn't just live in marriage, because you guys wouldn't give uh, enjoy the gift that God gives you. But instead, and then he goes all the way back to the beginning. He goes back to the beginning of creation. God made them male and female, right?" You talk about verses that are appropriate to our context and to our day and age today. I mean, here's one for you, right? Um, It's in the maleness and the femaleness uh, of God's creation um, that he institutes marriage. Um, It's not like marriage is an afterthought. Uh, Marriage is written into creation itself. It's This is the way that God intended things to be. Um, So you have verse six there, uh, which is kind of that summarizing of what uh, Genesis one has to say about marriage. And then we jump, we skip a chapter. We jump into uh, Genesis two. And um, I always, I don't know where you fall on this, Pastor Apple, but in Genesis two, uh, when um, when we have the institution of marriage, uh, it's kind of ambiguous. Who is speaking these words? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Have you ever noticed that? Well, immediately prior, so I'm flipping back to Genesis two right now. You and me both. <laughs> immediately prior, it is yeah. is Adam who's speaking. You know, right. in verse twenty three, the man says, "This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, or yeah, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." And then verse twenty four, at least in the way the ESV edits it, just starts with "Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and so forth." And it right. it goes out of the poetry there in the right. Hebrew. We don't exactly know when the quote ends, right? right? Um, and and Hebrew didn't have. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. They didn't have punctuation like quotation marks. They don't right? even have vowels. Right. They don't even have vowels. <laughs> so, I mean, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I mean, that's either Moses speaking, right? Moses is the one uh, who is speaking the word of the Lord, um, you know, as they're wandering the wilderness and he's composing Genesis and the power of the Holy Spirit. Or this is God kind of adding, you know, just this. Um, this this detail that's kind of just floating out there, or maybe this is Adam still speaking, and Adam's uh, the part that he gets to play. Remember, he's just before this; he's been naming all these animals like zebras and aardvarks and things, right? And whatever he called them, that was what it was. And so maybe, just maybe, Adam has a role to play here in this pre-fall, um, in the image of God, high point of creation, saying this is what marriage is to be. Uh, nevertheless, I, I just find that an interesting thing that um, you don't know if this is just kind of, if it, is it parenthetical? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Is this Adam saying, I think this is what we're going to do next? I mean, remember Adam at this point doesn't have a father and a mother. So that's a little bit confusing. Maybe this is Moses just kind of adding in, um, in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what marriage is to be. But this is the text, the pivotal text here, uh, with the two becoming one flesh, with the two holding fast to each other. Uh, this is the pivotal text that describes what exactly marriage is. Um, and I've always found it um, kind of kind of interesting that marriage is built around that question, will you have this this man, this woman to be your lawfully wedded husband or wife, right? It's the having will you have this person? Yes, I will. Right. It's that consent that says, yes, you are my wedded spouse. Right. Um, and then the, um, 
how do you say this on radio? It's the becoming one flesh part, right? It's the consummation of the event. Um, this is what makes marriage is the word and the deed. Um, and these two things go together. That's what makes the two become one flesh. Okay. Did, I, I, th- I think I said a lot. You didn't say much. No, I, that, that was all very <laughs> helpful. And, and this, again, is where Jesus takes us, is to right. these foundational texts. And I, I really love the fact that he goes to Genesis chapter one, the making them male and female. It, it is a matter of God's creation. This is a yeah. part of his design. And when you think about that initial question, what is lawful? And what a what a place to start. What did God design? And, and as you were saying previously from the wedding rite that we have in the Lutheran service book, such a wonderful, wonderful text that's there. If 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 you've not ever read that. You know, if you if you were married before Lutheran Service Book came out, or you were married somewhere else, take a look at that because every time I don't know about you, Pastor Beck, but every time I do a wedding and I'm going through the the opening address and the prayers that follow, there's just so much richness there about what God gives us in marriage. Yeah, that again is is drawn from these texts, Genesis one and two, the matter that God made them male and female, and that that this becomes a, a union of one flesh. And then I, I think the thing that, you know, Jesus will really emphasize, you know, you've talked about the consent and the becoming of one flesh, that there's the the consent, the word, the deed, but then who is actually behind the deed? Verse nine, what therefore God has joined together, let right. not man separate. Now, again, I mean, we said, you know, marriage, we would not call it a sacrament, but God is still doing something in marriage through that consent, through the through the deed of becoming one flesh, this is actually God joining two people together, which again, when you think about the entirety of the question and the application, that's a really important point. Right. It's certainly God pleasing, right? The institution of marriage, um, so much so that he wrote it into creation, that he mm. he he deemed that this is the way um, that creation will continue forward, right? This idea of procreation, a forwarding of creation, um, that mankind would be able to be involved in it, not like the animals do, right? But that we would have an actual one flesh union where the two become one and they are no longer two, but now they are one. And I, I think that that's, that's such an interesting concept, the, uh, the idea that they are no longer two but one flesh, uh, because, you know, in, in what way, I guess, is the question that kind of pops into our head, because, you know, it's not like you're literally glued together at the hip. It's not like you're, you're completely inseparable physically. Um, and, you know, those of us who are married, we understand that we're not even always of the same will. We're not even always of the same mind. Right. And anybody that says that they are is probably trying to sell you something. Right. We live on the other side of the fall. And so this one flesh union is something that um, it's an ideal for sure. But I think most of all, it's something that we experience through Christ <laughs> because in Christ we know forgiveness. Right. And remember, uh, uh, not to, again, not to jump too far afield here, uh, but where does Paul? take us in terms of a conversation about marriage in Ephesians, that it's never really all about the husband or the wife. It's all about Jesus and the church, right? And so uh, this is a mystery. It's profound uh, the way that marriage works. And he's talking not just about husbands and wives, but he's talking about Jesus and the church. And so um, as Jesus and the church are together and they're inseparable, so also are husbands and wives together and inseparable. That's the Paul, one flesh union, yeah. Right, and I think I think you're bringing out Ephesians five there, the way that Paul talks about it, which that's just a fantastic text. Oh, yeah. you, you get the you know Paul's talking about 
the way wives should treat their husbands and husbands should treat their wives. And then in the middle of it, you realize, no, he really wanted to tell you about Jesus all along. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every, <laughs> I, I think I, I use that text very often when it comes to thinking about, you know, marriage and husbands and wives and how sh- they should live together. But, but I also use that very often when I talk about baptism, because Paul talks about how, how Christ cleanses the church. I mean, it's just a, it's a fantastic thing. And, and the fact that, that that's what's going on in marriage is that it's providing this picture of the union between Christ and his church, I think also helps to explain why Jesus gives the answer that he does. I mean, this goes back to the the very foundations of, of what it means to be the people of God then. And if the, the picture of marriage is a picture of Christ and his church, well, how inseparable is that bond? And, and then the answer given for the husband and wife corresponds to that as well, that what God's joined together, let man not separate. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something that uh, I think that the the Christian Church of the 21st century uh, needs to take a longer, harder look at, uh, because you know that that mystery in Ephesians five, um, there's a corresponding uh, image between Jesus and the church, husbands and wives, um, and when we lose sight of that, and you know our church, uh, uh, you know. Uh, the relationships within our churches uh, reflect society more than they reflect um, Jesus's love for his church, um, which I, I understand we're never going to attain to perfect, you know, 100%, you know, marriage success rate, whatever that even means, right? Um, we're never going to attain to that yet. It's something that I think we have, uh, perhaps we have taken a little bit too soft of an edge on um, and there isn't, um, there isn't really a reason for people, or uh, people don't feel like there's a reason for them to continue on um, in difficult times. Hmm. Yeah, well, and getting practical and, real quick. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And then it gets difficult real quick. I mean, this yeah. is not an easy text to read or to hear or to apply for a variety of reasons. Though I would say that the answer that Jesus gives is pretty clear and pretty straightforward, and that any difficulty that we have with it comes from as Jesus addresses in verse five, hardness of heart. Oh yeah. It's all on us. That's <laughs> it's right. Not, the, it's not that Jesus gives us too hard of an answer. It's that, well, we don't live up to it. So, and, and just so that we're, you know, we, we follow it. You know, the question was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus lets the Pharisees give their wrong answer and go to the wrong text. When Jesus takes them to the right text, what God has joined together, let man not separate. That's the answer. You know, That's is it answer. lawful to divorce your wife? That's the answer. And and I, I wonder, and again, this is perhaps a bit of a speculation, but I think it fits with what we see elsewhere in Mark. The disciples are having a hard time with this answer too, yeah. just like you and I are having a hard time with it. And it's difficult for us to read. So they go and they ask Jesus privately. And Jesus doesn't really, he doesn't change anything when he says, again, in verses 11 and 12, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. There it is again. Jesus just, this is a hard text, Pastor Beck. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking just before we came on the air about, uh, you know, at least if we would have been in Matthew's gospel, there would have been that... uh, uh, that exception that says, you know, except in the case of adultery, you know, but not in Mark, you know, in Mark 10, you know, it is, uh, it is just abundantly clear. Jesus is not giving us any wiggle room to seek to justify ourselves and to say that, well, that was a good divorce. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's Jesus's mic drop moment in this is he just says, you know, like you said before, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Hmm. And that's the end of the line. Right now, I mean, from a pastoral standpoint, from a practical standpoint and living in a broken world like we do, um, we are free to echo the words of Jesus here. And in fact, we're, we're expected to echo the words of Jesus, but we're also allowed, and I believe we're also encouraged uh, to remind listeners, to remind folks who have uh, been through a divorce, um, you know, whether uh, it was, you know, at the, at the, um, you know, as an aftermath of adultery situation or not, um, that divorce is not an unforgivable sin. Right. I think that's important to point out um, is to say that, you know, listen, um, there is serious sin being discussed here. And I think that the serious sin is being directed to people who have not been divorced. Right. Um, as kind of a hedge, as a warning saying, don't do this. And even on a on just a practical level, Pastor Apple, you know, um, I tell uh, my confirmands when we're talking about the sixth commandment. We talk a little bit about, um, we talk about, uh, of course, uh, what adultery constitutes, you know, what, what that's about. Um, we talk about uh, divorce. One of the, That's one of the things, you know, and in the, you know, nearly 10 years that I've been doing this, you know, we've had a lot of uh, kids that have come through uh, from families that have experienced divorce. And the best way that I can describe it to them is to say that it's, it's a way of, uh, of breaking ourselves. Right. Um, I used to do, uh, and I haven't done it the last couple of years, but I used to do um, kind of an example uh, with folks where I would uh, we'd start the conversation and I would take two pieces of paper that had um, a cartoon uh, man and a cartoon woman on it. And I would take Elmer's glue and glue the two together. And then I'd set it on the side of the desk and we'd be talking about adultery and about what it looks like. And then I would explain it to him and I'd say, all right, so what we did just now when we glued these two together was the two became one. Right now, it's been fifteen or twenty minutes, so the glue has started to dry. Um, it started to harden, uh, and then I'd say, "Now, what do you think would happen if I made this one back into two again?" Well, a couple of kids say, "Well, it's going to make a mess." Well, yeah, it's going to make a mess. And so, when you start to peel the two apart, what you have happen is you have tearing. Right? You have a little bit of this stuck to that, a little bit of that stuck to this. You have this terrible. That was a terrible pun. Sorry about that. <laughs> you have this, this tearing apart of the two such that they are both injured. They are both damaged. They are both marred beyond semblance. Um, and that's the picture of divorce, right? Can the two continue to live? Can the two continue to, um, to exist? I mean, sure, but there's damage that's done, right? Uh, it's not beyond the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, uh, but it's something that, uh, if you if you have not undergone that, I would not recommend it. And if you have undergone it, um, you need to hear words of forgiveness because you are torn to shreds. Yeah, the that's a I've seen that image used before, and I think it is a powerful picture. And yeah. again, I mean, just the, you know, the idea of of two people becoming one. How do you how do you separate that without any sort of hurt or pain? And the situation, it doesn't have, we don't have to look around very hard in our world yeah. today to see just how many people are damaged and hurt by that, by that consequence of, of adultery, of divorce, and, and everything that surrounds it. Now, you mentioned this earlier, Pastor Beck, toward the beginning of our conversation, the, and it goes back to the question that the Pharisees asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
And you mentioned that in pastoral practice, and as we, I think, consider this in terms of our own self-examination, as we would ask a question like that, the question that we might need to consider is, well, well, why am I asking that? Or why why do you want to know? The Pharisees want to know the answer to the question, is it lawful? Because they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to test Jesus. And so he's very firm with what the word of God says. This is what it says about divorce, it should not happen, it is not a part of God's will, period. And and that's the answer that he gives. And we as pastors sometimes need to speak that word. There are times when when we need to hear that word, depending on, again, why are we asking that question? Is it lawful? There are other places that we should look in scripture, and there are other reasons why a person might be asking that questions, though. And, and I think that's important for us to bring out as we have this conversation today. Right. Yeah. I mean, if somebody is in your office, you know, uh, they're at Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas, and they come in and, you know, essentially through, you know, through conversation, you know, they're asking, is it, is it permissible? Am I allowed to get divorced? Um, and, you know, it comes to light that um, the reasons for them getting out of their marriage are, are sinful at heart. I mean, obvious, that's an obvious answer. No, it is not allowed, right? Don't do that, you know. But contrast that with somebody that comes in in a situation where they're being abused. Contrast that with a situation where somebody comes in um, and you know their their spouse has walked out on them, you know, uh, where they they fear for their their life for their children's lives, you know. I mean, these are these are areas where pastoral practice. Um, it it does direct us to one of those one of those I, I don't want to say a catch twenty two situation you know where you're kind of um, in hot water if you do or if you don't situations but um, you know you do have to kind of temper your practice and you understand that there will be sin uh, but maybe a helpful thing to say is to reiterate that point that sin is not necessarily just when you do bad things but sometimes sin is another way of saying broken right. And so if the marriage is broken, if this individual has been broken um, and may have been responsible for the breaking, right? Um, you know, is, am I allowed to, to get a divorce? You know, is, is it lawful for me to get a divorce? Well, you know, I mean, there are some situations. I, I remember several years back, I had an individual that came into my office and, you know, their spouse had left them. You know, and they said, you know, do I, do I remain married to this person, you know, even though I don't know where they are, you know, and I, I said that that marriage isn't there anymore because they've left. Whether you remain committed is up to you, but I don't think, I don't think this is a situation where, you know, you wait forever for the person that has left you, right? And so instead, uh, what we actually did was we went and we had uh, private confession and absolution. We had uh, that opportunity to to say, this is a broken situation, and then to say, Jesus forgives it. Jesus uh, died for this brokenness, and Jesus makes it whole again. Right. Jesus Jesus died for the sinner and for the sinned against as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's, that's an important—I think, you know, I mean, when you think about a text like this, which again is, is a hard text— for us, because of our hardness of heart, it's a, on the one hand, it's a very easy text. You know what Jesus is saying. The hard right. part is our, our sin. With a text like this, we shouldn't try to skate around Jesus' words or try to make him say something he's not. We should hear yes. what he's saying about divorce and, and its terrible consequences 
and just how it, I mean, sin breaks stuff. It does. And, and we should hear the seriousness of his words and not try to find some way around them. We should also not hear a text like this and try to use it in a way to somehow justify ourselves either, right. such that, oh, look at me. I've not been divorced and I'm doing what's lawful great. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm such a wonderful person. Yeah. And, and, and with that, and this is where, you know, in, in the way that this life works, broken by sin as it is, and the consequences that sometimes our own sin brings upon us, and sometimes the consequences that others' sin brings upon us, we recognize that in that reality, there are other evils that attack us. And sometimes those evils are worse evil, at least in the earthly consequences, than divorce is. And and that's the, the reality true. that we live in when it comes to this life. And, and that's what makes a text like this challenging. And it's why we, I think, you know, to reiterate what we've been saying, it's so important for us to start in the right place. And when we start yeah. in the right place, you know, what is marriage? What's the goodness that God gives? How do we hold on to that gift that was there before the fall into sin? When we're starting there, we're much more likely to go in a God-pleasing direction. And ultimately, I think a, a healthy direction for us as people than when we're asking, well, what's lawful? How can I get out of it? Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the probably the best marriage advice uh, that I think there is is the the same that we have throughout this season of Lent, uh, that gradual that we should fix our eyes on Jesus. Right. <laughs> we should fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the perfect example of marriage and he is the one who strengthens and empowers us by his word uh, to actually understand forgiveness. Right. Because, um, man, when you've been forgiven by Jesus, you can forgive a lot. And uh, that's uh, at the very heart of what uh, what it takes to make marriage work, what it takes to to live together uh, with another sinner um, as one flesh. Yeah. And that's that's where that picture that Paul gives from Ephesians chapter five is so beautiful and so profound as he takes marriage and and shows how it's a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. And and what a what a strengthening text that can be for husbands and wives as they seek to live in the gift that God has given. And and then how strengthening it is for all of us as Christians, particularly as we we see in that text what Christ has done for us, his church, that he has you know, made us holy, that he's cleansed us to prevent, present him us to himself without spot or blemish or any such thing. What a, what a fantastic picture and what a needed picture, what a needed reality for those of us who, who find ourselves accused by this text, by the law in this text. There's just no way that any of us get around this text without feeling that accusation of the law. What a wonderful reality that Paul uses to proclaim that Christ, he died for those sins. He forgives those sins. He, he covers those sins. Yeah. I think, um, just to piggyback off of what you were just saying, uh, the idea of not trying to escape from the fact that this is Jesus calling sin, what it is, right? Uh, if we try to wiggle out from under it, if we try to excuse it, if we try to say, well, you know, um, the other party in this marriage was really the problem and you're okay, um, that skates that skates us out where Jesus doesn't let us go, you know, because Jesus doesn't let us get out from uh, under the fact that um, divorce is sin. It's not part of God's plan, God's will for his creation, right? Um, but there is also forgiveness for that. So we got to preach the law in its truth and its fullness, just as Jesus does. Um, and then we also got to never lose sight of the gospel, the forgiveness uh, for the sake of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection.
Yeah, for sure. And in a text like this, how how necessary to to just drop any pretense of self-justification yeah. and to let Jesus be the one to justify us with just about a minute, Pastor Beck, give us that that gospel. Give us that good news <laughs> with a difficult text like this. Give us the good news. Yeah, so the good news is this, uh, is that you don't get to go to heaven uh, based on whether you're married or single or divorced or remarried or whether you've, uh, uh, what's the situation with the woman at the well? She's been married uh, half a dozen times. The guy that she's with right now isn't even her husband. That's not the basis of your justification, nor should it ever even attempt to be. Um, You are not justified by what you do, but instead by what Jesus has done for you. The fact that he came into this world, that he lived a perfect life, that he laid down that perfect life on your behalf, paying for each and every one of your sins, and that he took it up again on the third day, uh, that is the love that God has for you. It's the love that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 when he says that husbands ought to love their wives just like Jesus loved you, the church, and gave himself for you. Uh, so dear friends in Christ, we uh, we have this opportunity. <laughs> we have this opportunity to submit to Jesus, to love Jesus, and to love one another as God has called us uh, to husbands and to wives, as God puts in us this opportunity uh, to reflect his love, uh, you are forgiven, dear child of God, uh, no matter what station of life you are in, uh, no matter what sins you have brought with you, Jesus loves you. Pastor Dustin Beck is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. Yes, sir. Have a great day. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Tim the Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Mark chapter 10 or any of the gospel according to St. Mark, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.